this Saturday night, join myself, Nick Parry, Malcolm Allen, Delan Ebenezer, Nicky John, Jonah and Tommy, if you like the red button, a bit of English commentary for this huge game. Connorski Nomad, top of the table, Iron Brew Cup finalists. They are heading south to face Barrytown United in third place at the moment. Only three points off. Lost against Carnarvon recently. Needed a 97th minute equaliser against TNS last week to avoid another defeat. Ooh, they need a big in. They need a big performance. And we're expecting to see one. This Saturday night, 7.30, live on S4C. Tune into Scorio for Barrytown United against Connors Key Nomads. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen About his seven caps, his chocolate knees His distinct lack of pace Now it's a long shot Very warm welcome to the Longman's Football World Podcast with myself, Owen Tidder Jones, and this week's guest. Ooh, it's a good one. Former teammate of mine up at Hibs, before he was kicked out, Mr. Rowan Vine. Brilliant character, loads of stories to tell. Uh, brilliant for the dressing room. Outspoken at times. Certainly wouldn't bite his tongue. He's a man, if it was on his mind, he would say it. That's got him into a little bit of trouble over the years. And we get into all of it in the chat. Beautiful conversation. Great catching up with him in London, his town. He's the king of London. To talk about his career, um, all the clubs he played for, the different experiences he had with different managers, and what he's done since finishing playing. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation with the one and only Mr. Rowan Vine. Story time with Rowan Vine, mate. We're back. We're back together. It's been a little while. Been a little while, mate. Been a little while. And uh, yeah, always time for a story with Jack and Ori. <laughs> Anyone? You've listened to the James Collins episode. Yeah. I think we spoke about it on, on record, like explaining how we used to go out for coffees. Yeah. You know, a small group of us in Hibs go out for coffees. And normally when you're telling stories and you're getting a little bit excited yeah. in your stories and there's a bit of bad language, normal people tend to quiet normal. down. Normal. They quiet down a little bit. Not Rowan Vine, mate. No. He gets louder and louder. The thing is, you've picked the, the quietest corner of a quiet hotel. <laughs> but you know, we'll either get an audience in a minute or we'll get kicked out. But um, 
No, it's, uh, yeah, I do send to... I like, the, I like the story, I like telling the story and, you know, there's good stories and good storytellers. So some people can make a, an, an average story good and some yeah. people can make a good story really bad. <laughs> you, you're probably a, one of those players that you've got a good memory as well. Yeah, yeah. You seem to remember everything. You probably, it's a bit of embellishment. Yeah. You probably add legs to a couple of little stories. Yeah, I think that's the part of that's the story. Good I, think, yeah. <laughs> I think you, you have to exaggerate it and, you know, I mean, you would go with a comedy element especially in football and yeah I've, I have I've always had quite a good memory and I had been in quite a few compromising situations within, within when I played football so yeah it's just, I always get the feeling I'm quite self-aware that people are enjoying the story so then you want to carry the story on until another one and then obviously after you've told two or three it's like six hours people are starting to look for the exit and like you say I've always had a problem with not a problem but you know a uh, sort of filter if I'm telling it so I'm what you're saying is you, you're the complete opposite to big Michael Nelson who has no self-awareness of what his audience <laughs> is feeling. Even if it, I strange, hope Nelson's listening to this. The strange thing is, he, I think he quite likes the sound of his own voice in his stories. And I, I clearly like the sound of my own voice, but I don't think anyone else likes the sound of his stories. But he's, yeah, he's, not, he's not that aware, but bless him, he's a yeah, lovely fella. What a, what a guy. Um, and to be fair... I was, I'd let him have the five, ten minute one and then just come over the top with it. Just <laughs> well, pull him out of the Exactly, way. yeah, yeah. But we, yeah, we tended to, I think we had one in um, Edinburgh. We found the quietest coffee shop within a bookshop ever anyway. Yeah. It was only frequented by like young mums. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't a great setting for to get a little bit... Um, That's why you picked it. Well, I don't think I picked it, I just went with it. <laughs> but yeah, no, we sort of, uh, we, we'd, get, um, we'd get a few funny looks and a... Few uh, hands over the ears of the children, I think, at that point as well. How was life, mate? Yeah, not too bad. What are you not up too to? Bad. Um, there's a lot. I'm doing a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. I think um, I've been I've been pretty conscious the last few years to step back from football. Obviously, after I come back from Scotland, I stopped playing professionally. Had a few um, issues with with health. I've got like chronic arthritis, so um, that was sort of. I've, been, I've had it my whole career, but it, I used to get treated by, um, like, privately, and the clubs would have to pay for it, so it was fine. And then sort of that stopped when I, when I came back and couldn't get a club, so it sort of was tough because I probably wasn't ready, still not ready now, but um, it was sort of forced on me. And then you have a, sort of a bit of a backlash towards football because you, you, you know you really can't play professionally anymore, but you, you still want to. So, yeah, I think I needed to take some time away, and I sort of did for two 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 and a half years maybe didn't really I, I love football I, I watch football and talk about it all day long but it was times where I was just like nah and then my two boys play um, and I weren't even really that excited to watch that so I've, I've, and I've spoke to a lot of people in, in a similar position whether it's retirement or enforced or if it's health or whatever and I've, I've the same feeling that once that proper like hectic style of playing football and being right in it is gone you need to sort of step away and sort of reevaluate. and I'd advise everyone to do that and <clears throat> I've done that and I've just got some stuff, other stuff going on that keeps me busy um, away from football and then I'm now doing my coaching badges I think I'm on the second part of my A licence this summer and I'm ready. I've started reconnecting and watching more football and going and speaking to some people from football that I know and stuff like that so I think there is a time and ultimately if it's something you've always done and loved you're going to come back at some point so I think yeah I'm looking forward to the next step it's a, it's a weird one isn't it because uh, you know I, 
I can almost put myself in your shoes, different different pathways, um, but you fall out of love with it. Oh. If, unless you've sort of played at the highest level, stayed there, mm. and everything's rosy throughout, and then eventually you have to retire, maybe there's a job waiting for you, mm. but because you've, or if there isn't, because you've played at the highest level, you've probably got money in the bank, yeah. that means you don't have to worry too much about <clears throat> what's next. It does take that little step back, oh. just to go again, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm a bit devastated the whole way through my career because someone told me early, like a, sort of a mentor of mine who's been in professional football the whole time, and he said, after I had a couple of knockbacks, not serious knockbacks or anything, he sort of said, this game, just test your love for it every day, every week, every month. And, I, and it was always with me. And then you have another setback or another knockback and you think you love it a little bit less than you did as your career goes. And it's, it's hard to take because... It is something when you were a kid and growing up, you, you never ever thought you wouldn't love football 24-7 and then you get to a point where you're like, like you say, for different reasons, different circumstances, you think, oh, I could do without this, I really could. And, and it's, it's tough and I, I, you know, I, mean, I still maintain that there's not many people in football that love football as much as me and I'll, I'll always love it and it, it's refreshing that I've started to look at it differently and coming back and see it through different angles. But that is a disappointment when it stops being something you love and turns into a business side of things and decisions you're made are based around location, family. It, it, all of it's about, you know, when you was 18, you'd have swam across the channel to go and play in France, but when you're like 32, 33, you're not making that decision based on, on other things. And a lot of your career, you've got to be selfish, but then you've got to be selfless as well at some time, which is, is, is tough to do. Do you think the pu- public perception of football and footballers make it harder because... We feel like that. Sometimes it becomes a job. It becomes a bit of a grind. You're moving away and all of that. But then the public perception is you're playing football because that's all they dreamt of doing and weren't quite good enough or or whatever their their reasons may be. So that's where the clash comes from, if you like. I understand. It's a massive stigma because the money and the lifestyle uh, and the fact that it's the number one sport and everyone wants to do it means that while you're playing... Even in negative times, and I've had plenty when you sat for two years being injured, uh, that's what people point to. If, if, you, if you, you haven't got a voice because you can't start moaning and can't be because people are pointing to the fact, well, if I was, I'd do that for, for no money. I'd, yeah. I'd, you, you know, and you wouldn't. That's, that's a simple fact, you wouldn't because people would be doing it. You know, and uh, it, is, it is tough because you sort of have to grin and bear it in the bad times and not really. Don't really tell a lot of people about it and stuff like that so it's sort of something you just carry with you because a lot of people it's there's a lot of jealousy involved at the start of it but um you know i always love looking at it now and the worst times i've reacted in terms of people pointing them accusations at me is when i've been injured or not been playing or been frozen out then it becomes a business and you talk about oh i'm getting paid this money and you know get the money and stuff like that whereas that's going it for me. That's going against my natural instinct. I want to play football every week. If someone's not allowing me to or stopping me doing that for whatever reason, that's going to hurt. But the hurt while you're in it, the hurt is to say, ah, I'm still getting paid. It's fine. Yeah. And it's that you look back and think, every time I've not been in the team, there's been problems because I'm addicted to playing football. That's all I ever wanted to do is play football. The the money, the lifestyle, completely secondary to me. But people will never believe that. But that's it's not going to. It doesn't mean it's false. I, can, I, I, I say that and I mean it. So how, do, how does a man like you cope with retiring? So 
you know, you're talking about the arthritis problems yeah. and their problems that you had when we were together at Hibs. Cause yeah. That was one of your stories I probably didn't listen to too closely. <laughs> I, I knew you used to go down to Southampton and you, you'd arranged f- uh, that the club paid for you to yeah. do that within the contract. Um, but retirement, knowing that you had to do it, some low points? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, other people I've spoke to, just if you can retire on your own terms or <clears throat> you can play 800 Premier League games and, and off you go into the sunset, then, then fair enough. But I think I was always the last part of my professional career I was, I was swimming against the tide in, in many ways relaunching myself in Scotland um, the first year then trying to maintain that when you're the, the wrong side of 30 you have everything has to fall into place for you and if it doesn't you know you're only two games three games away from the end of your contract really because if you sign a year and you're not in the team for five games you're looking thinking am I going to get another um, and I knew the sort of lower I dropped down in, and obviously in terms of <coughs> contracts and finances that I had this thing hanging over me in terms of it was costing a lot of money for clubs to pay for, for my treatment and I got diagnosed when I was 21 with Crohn's disease and secondary arthritis so while you're on the way up people will pay for it but yeah. on the way down people aren't going to pay for it and got to a point I paid for two or three myself and that was up to sort of you know 15 grand and then you don't have a club and you're looking in the mirror thinking what are you doing but you, you, there's still that you don't want to let go. That was my scenario, that I didn't want to stop playing football and it was sort of forced upon me. And then, yeah, you think, what am I going to do and what, what, why do I have to do it right now? You weren't planning. You never plan, really, even though you should. Um, so, yeah, some, some real tough moments. And ultimately, you don't want to retire. You don't, you know, if, it's, if you're in pain and stuff like that and you know your body's not going to let you do it, then, yeah, but I knew that if I could pay for this treatment or if it was paid for, I'd still be able to, to play. What I found mad uh, while playing was like my level dropped as I got older. So year by year, legs were going, legs were gone, clinging on. And you're thinking, and then occasionally I'd go away with the well squad and the setup there, you know, you've got all the physios, you, you've yeah. got this periodization model of making sure that training is specific to make sure you're fit for the, for the game or yeah. for the weekend. And then because your level is low, yeah. you then go back to your club where you haven't got that. And you're like, oh my God, if only I had that, what I've had with yeah. that international setup weekly, fucking hell, I could still play it to a high level. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that catch-22, you get stuck in the middle. Yeah, of course, because, I mean, not for yourself, being a seasoned international, that, yeah, you, oh. you would see the, uh, the, you'd see the peaks and troughs more, but um, just for someone like me. But um, no, obviously, yeah, you, there's scenarios and there's clubs where you've been out that do things right, more professional, look after the players more, and there'll be other ones that, um, in terms of getting you ready and fit, if you're that little bit older, they'll work you harder <laughs> to try and make sure you're fit. I mean, it, it don't seem to make sense. And again, you don't turn around and go, we can't do that because... I've played 400 games. You've got to just like I've had a bad ankle, so you've got to ease me in. You don't. You can do it. You can get away with it if you're playing and playing well. Yeah. But as soon as you have that one bad game, it's like ah, oh, he's not looking fit. Yeah. He needs to run it. You know, I, I said this um, the other day. I was talking to someone. I said, for me, footballers and football in general is based on two things: reputation and performance. If you've got a, a bad reputation for whatever reason, injury prone or wrong, and whatever, the, if you've got a bad reputation, your performance has to be good. That has to be even better. You just described both of us there. <laughs> injury prone, one of us, and the wrong. You I thought I was just describing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I used to always fall back on performance, no matter what. 
like I've had over 50 managers, probably more. I don't know. It's pro probably up there with anyone who's had, because I've had more, more clubs and more managers than most. I was at Portsmouth when they had 12, 13 managers in four years, and QPR exactly the same. So, you know, professionally, I've had a few clubs, but sometimes you look for stability, and I've had all these managers, and some of them, most of them, I've, I've fell out with at some point. You know my personality; it hasn't really changed since I was a kid. It's been the same. Um, don't you know? I don't like to conform, and I don't like to not say something. And in football, it's, it's, it's tough because if you've got an opinion, um, I've always been told that I should be allowed to state my opinion. But you work for some people; opinions are, are not valid. There's only one man's opinion that matters, so you either conform to that or not. And I've always had a problem with that. So yeah, I have within the sort of the club I would have had question marks but performance always got me out of jail yeah. and that's all I relied on so that's what I always say to other people if the performance is right and listen I'm not, I'm not, there's been times where I haven't lived professionally of course in my career but for the most part of my career I was as professional as anyone and, and uh, people only meet you and see you at that point so what you're doing and that goes before you the whole time but you know I think I had nearly 300 games by the time I was 25 so if I'd have carried that on Obviously, I didn't because of different scenarios. But you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a bad egg, and I've been described as that a few times, a good few times. And you know, your performance has to be unbelievable if people are already marking your card. Because once you're described as that bad egg, one misdemeanor, one misdemeanor, or one, yeah, you know, like you say, one bad. This manager's game, talk. Or, this manager who didn't like you, even if you've been, <coughs> you know, you've been a problem one day. You've had an argument, and he doesn't like it. Yeah. The next manager he talks to, that's what he says. Yeah. And then they all talk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, listen, at the tail end of my QPR career, I couldn't get a club for love or money. And it was obviously, um, I wasn't training with the first team. I was completely ostracised. I, I, I wasn't getting any fitter. I was probably getting less fit because I wasn't involved, wasn't allowed to play reserve games. There was so much going on. I, I'd signed for Gillingham, um, Andy Hessenthaler, and equals a spade a spade and Hess said to me he said like everyone I've spoke to has told me not to even bother and he brought me in for the last six seven weeks of the season when they were just inside the playoffs and um, I, I was paying for my own hotel and, and the travel and I wasn't getting like, obviously my, my contract was still at QPR but they yeah. would, took me on loan and I was effectively paying to be on loan because it was costing me money to stay in a hotel costing me but that was, like, that was, that was basically a last resort because no one else and I was there for three or four weeks and he said can't believe like the things people have said or, or been led me to believe you've been breath of fresh air and stuff like that and you know it's, it's you respect that don't you? you do respect that I, I remember Paul Lambert doing that in Norwich I think it was I think it was Elliot Ward who's come in would he have signed from Coventry maybe maybe wherever he's come from he had the reputation that Paul Lambert had heard and he said it to his face yeah like I've heard what did he what was his description I've heard you're a you love yourself a cancer in the dressing room or Ooh. poison in the dressing room something along those lines, and that obviously spurred strong, him on yeah. to fucking yeah. do really well at Norwich. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate the honesty. Um, even you know you can you can sort of you can sort of guess that people have been told a certain thing about you when you when you sign or stuff like that, or when you're talking to them and you're potentially going to sign. You can sort of you know when someone's giving you a glowing reference. If they say the name, <laughs> you're normally like, ah, that would have gone well then. But yeah, I just appreciate someone saying how it is and then, you know, if it goes the, the wrong way, he can say, well, yeah, well, I, was, I was warned and I took the chance anyway. And then sort of similar thing when I went to St. Johnston, like, I went up there because I knew sort of Steve Lomas a little bit and same thing, he's got QPR links and, uh, 
they don't have a good word to say about me, obviously, but I was going up there with, with a point to prove and, and it worked sort of thing. And I, you know, I ended up playing a lot of games and doing really well. We finished third in the league and you can do it, but again, like you say, you've got to go again. Like it's not, you know, you, play, you have one good season at 31, you need another two if you're going to carry on playing at that level or, or yeah. higher. You don't have, you know, I mean, you, you start off, when I went to Hib, you start off and it doesn't go well personally and for the team and you look at it and you think, yeah, you, you're not far away from out the door here. So you're talking about your personality, your character. Where does that come from? Because I'm, I'm intrigued at times to think, you know, I come from a, a place in North Wales where, you know, had a good upbringing, happy family, this and that, but somehow found my way into professional sport. There's yeah. a small part of me that thinks there's something about these big cities. Mm. If, you, if you grow up sort of where it's not a middle-class upbringing yeah. in London where you have to fight for everything. Yeah. And a lot of the time, those sort of characters, they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder that drives them to professional sport. Is that where you are? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Basingstoke, which is which is just outside London and it's like an overspilled town. And I've got four brothers and a sister. Um, my dad played sort of semi-pro football and was good. At, he was good. I was like the youngest of four boys um, first of all, there's twins, another one, and then me. And so my mum had like the four boys under the age of three and a half, and I was like the little one. We used to get ferried around my dad playing football and stuff like that. And it was just a, you know, when you've got four boys, it's a two v two, or if it's a one v, you know what I mean? It was. It, I can't even. They used to have to take me on a Saturday morning training when I was like three. But let, my mum would say you got to take him as well because I so they'd take me and I'd stand there and it just snowballed. And I was always playing a year up, two years up, and I was always small. But I always had a bit of fight and always had a mouth, so it was like I'm. Your good. brothers definitely fucking kept beating you up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mouth, was mouthy as Yeah, I was. But then once you show that certain amount of ability, that is the ability is probably on a par or, or higher than their ability from early. It's like they're going to kick you more because yeah. they can see it, and you're taking it around three or four players, and they're just booting you. And uh, yeah, and I, I think that sort of competitive edge. We all we all had it like being a, obviously predominantly a family of boys, um, and I knew no difference. So yeah, it was like just completely working class. Um, um, like obviously started professional football when I was about ten, and always sort of had this. I was quite quiet first of all when I went into that environment, but it don't it didn't take me long to sort of know that you wanted to be there, and that I always thought that you've got to fight your way out of there. You've got to be the best player. You've got to be the best player in training. You've got to be the best player every game. But I thought that about everything. Yeah. So I wanted to win everything. And you know, and there is a lot of boys in football that I meet. There's a lot of people that come from a similar sort of story where it's just sort of, like you say, scrapping all the time, whether it's running your mouth off or actually playing football or actually doing something physical. You know, you've got to back yourself and you've got to back it up like physically as well. So, yeah, I mean, I... I will never take that side away from me, that, that competitive edge and that will to win. But sometimes, yeah, obviously there's been times where speaking up has got me in, in trouble uh, because, like you say, you've got to appreciate that people are from different backgrounds. So uh, is, that, is that a reflection thing for you, Wade? Some, how often have you gone home and thought, why did I say that? Yeah. Or is that something you look back on now, years later, and think, mm, maybe not? Yeah. Were you stubborn enough at the time to think, no, nah, I had to say? Yeah, I think I think stubbornness is is obviously a, a double-edged sword, really, because you can be stubborn and it can be positive, but then if you're too stubborn, it can it can have negative effects. And yeah, there's, there's three or four major times where I know if I've just shut up a bit, 
probably get a more of a chance somewhere or more of a chance with someone, um, especially if they've heard something bad or negative about you and then, then you just, the first conversation you have turns into an argument. It, 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 they mark your car. No, yeah, of course, but at the time you always, I always think, I always did think that, just give me a chance and I'll prove it. Yeah. And I used to back myself, push myself into that corner and think, right, yeah, well, I know what I've said. I know I said I should be in your team. So yeah. Put me in the team and see what happens. And then, you know, but I, tr I try and reflect. But I, and you know, I always said you got to, you know you got to live with regrets. It's, you're going to have to live with them anyway. So that, try not to dwell on them. But I don't think I think if I had the ability to do something different, then <laughs> stand back and I would have done it. Yeah. So at that time I was like, no, no, fuck you. <laughs> I'll do it my way. And if it don't work, it don't work. Right? It comes back on me. If it doesn't work, it comes back on me. Um, I think everyone will obviously reflect on negative situations that they've had an impact on. Um, but I, I, I struggle to sit here and say I would have changed a lot of it. Do you know? Do you yeah. know? In hindsight, yeah, if you'd have done that, you'd have. But there's a couple of big ones where there's no way I would have changed what I've done, and, and they, that cost me, you know, a good couple of years, probably the best years of my career um, at QPR because I was, I was. There's no way I was making a different decision. Give me an example. Then. Well, Who did you clash with the most? First of all, I clashed with the owner, which was Flavio Briatore. Um, I broke my leg at QPR in training um, when I was flying, and uh, it was a teammate that broke, it was a teammate that broke my leg. And um, it was a goalkeeper that would only come in on a short-term deal, and I remember it like obviously it, I've only had that major injury in my career, and it was. It was done on the training ground and it wasn't an accident. It was it, the goalkeeper come out and, and two-footed me. Um, it was clear, but I sort of went to hospital, had an operation that day, was sort of out of it for a day or whatever, come back around and then seen it on Sky Sports that like, I'd broken my leg and it was a freak accident. And then that obviously, as I'm already looking at it thinking, well, that's not, that's not the truth. Who was the keeper? Um, Matt Pickens, an American keeper, yeah, okay. he was, he, I don't think he even played a game. I think his only <laughs> big impact was, <laughs> was that tackle. I think there was a queue of people waiting to shake his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was just a hitman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest, so, yeah, it was like, um, it, it, I, didn't, it, I didn't think that should be done, but at the time you think, right, protect the club, protect, you, like, you know I mean, you don't have to say, you don't have to come out what it was, but, you know, it was, it wasn't an accident and, you know, that did come back out further down the line. But I sort of struggled. The operation was a success, but I got an infection and it sort of slowed down the healing process to the point where I, after sort of maybe eight months, I had to have the operation done again. So I had to have my leg broke, broken again. And it was a double fracture anyway. Um, within this point, we'd gone through a few more managers and stuff and uh, I was just coming back and Paolo Sosa was manager yeah. um, and I got on brilliant with Paolo and I think he's un unbelievable the way he works and you know his record speaks for itself in playing especially and he's, he's done really well managing since then and you just click with some people I mean I, I don't even think I played a game for, I played come on for one game but I was just knowing he's a proper football person and I seem to always lean towards the foreign coaches anyway like I don't know why just, it's just something and uh he was obviously under a bit of pressure from the owners and stuff like that and a situation happened where Dexter Blackstock left, left the club and he was our top goal scorer with six points outside the playoffs. 
This coincided with my comeback game. So we're doing the press. Paolo's done his press and they've said to him, where was Dexter Blackstone? He went, well, at 6pm last night, he was in my team. This morning, I, told him, I was told he's not at the football club. So they'd let him go on loan behind his back. So then I've obviously gone in to do the press straight after. <laughs> they've just like, set the trap, haven't they? There's no no comment from Rome. No, no, but they've set the trap. They didn't even team, they've just set the trap. They've just gone, oh, so uh, strange one. Like, obviously, Dexter leave. I went, yeah, who lets the top goal scorer go with the six points outside the playoffs? Mm. So I'm just coming back from injury. I've been out 16 months and we've got no other strikers. Strange one. Whoever made the decision is a strange one. That was it. We're going to talk about the comeback. And then next day, it's all in the, uh, it's all in the paper. And the chairman... So not the owner, the chairman, obviously phones me and says, oh, you're getting me in trouble, you get in. And I was like, what? Just, I've just said, I know what it looks like. It says that I've backed the manager, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, they sacked the manager and the chairman has told the owner that I'm going to apologise personally to him about my comments. So they picked me up and I don't know why they've done it, but they picked like a few of the players up in these cars to take us to like central London, to like... Um, Knightsbridge, where his office was, and yeah. you know, you walk in, it was like something out of, like something out of like um, the Godfather or something. You walk in, this massive marble table, and he's just stood at the end, and we sat down, and, that, and he's like, he, he was a uh, very blunt, very sort of uh, dictatory kind of like character. Anyway, loved himself as well, and he just starts throwing stuff about, and he's like points at me. He's like, yeah, you, I heard you're going to apologise, and I was like. I could feel it coming up, feel it burning, and I went, nah, 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 I don't know who you heard that from. And he's like, if you haven't got any intelligence to talk about something, then don't fucking talk, shut your mouth. And then I'm like, right, okay, now he started swearing, and I said, look, and he stood, and he's like, pointing at me, and he's going full blast, and the boys, there's like seven other players in there, the boys are looking at me, and they know, I'm thinking, I mate, look, mate, don't speak to me like that. And he's like, no, 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 you tell your agent you'll never play for this football club again, this and that and this and that. You've got to apologise now. And I was like, I've got nothing to say sorry for. So the more you say it, the, the less yeah. I'm actually thinking of saying sorry to you. I said, and to be honest with you, I've got three years left. I've done what I'm doing in your office. I'm here to play football. What am I doing here? So all I want to do is play football. I've been out for two years and you're dragging me here. Sat and he went, tell me what you think about Paolo Sosa. And I went, well, it doesn't matter, you've sat him. And he's like, you won't leave this office till you tell me. And I'm thinking, oh, in the head teacher's office now. <laughs> I said, all right, well, he's the best manager you're ever going to sack. And with that, it's like, bang, he's gone, and he's screaming, he's shouting. And you know what I mean? That sort, of, that sort of set the tone for me to then have two years, two more years at a football club where the owner was never, ever wanted me in the team. It, managers weren't really allowed to pick me um, and stuff like that. And yeah, some people have said, yeah, you probably should, you probably should have said sorry. And it's hard because... You're going against your natural <laughs> instincts to, to do it. Personal pride. Yeah. You know, could you look at yourself in the mirror? But I'm sure that's one thing that you look back and think, if if I could have swallowed my pride, just said sorry, not meant it, could, yeah. be, could have been very different for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely, because I know there was two or three managers that came in and, and obviously were told not to play me and not to not to have me involved. Um, Jim McGilton came in and was brave enough to, to say, nah, no, I'm, I'm picking him. Pick me for six games, we're unbeaten. Went to Swansea, went down to nine men, lost 2-0, and I got dropped. So then it was, you knew you were just, you, like I'm saying, you were one game, one bad game away or, or performance from the team, and it would have been getting out of stuff like that. So yeah, it was always going to be tough. I thought it was going to change when, um, when Neil Warnock came in, because... <laughs> 
we had a phone call where he, he said that yeah, it was definitely going to change and I was definitely going to play. Um, six weeks later, I hadn't kicked the ball and yeah, it, was, it, it just got even worse. So it was, it was tough, it was really tough. Um, and going back, obviously, I signed a good contract there um, for, for that reason and being injured first and foremost and then, then sort of political reasons, I just stagnated. And politics probably at QPR at that time, it's never it's never been more evident in football than that period. You're talking about someone like Neil Warnock, who I'd imagine prides himself on being that manager, old school way of no, I'm picking the team. Yeah. Whereas if guys like him are getting controlled, I might be wrong. He might be being controlled yeah. now at Cardiff. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, no. I, I mean, for me personally, you start looking at it thinking, how do I get away from here? How do I get back in this team? What can I do? Um, and you sort of need someone to come in and back you. And yeah, it was unfortunate for me because he came in and he phoned me on the day he got the job and told me. And said he tried to sign me six times and this Lo- and that. Loves that one, yeah, he? he loves that one. Yeah, yeah. And Never then, knew your mate Redknapp. Yeah, <laughs> both love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry, I'd, I'd never sold you. I'd never sold you. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it was. Yeah, it was. I needed someone to come in and really put the faith in and, and say, you know, you're training with the first team. First and foremost, get yourself as fit as you can, and, and you'll, you'll be in the team. And he sort of said that, but it, it never materialised. And I think he was picking his own team. He got promoted, fair play. So I don't really, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of go into all the details of it without, um, you know, without really opening someone up so you know people have their opinions but it's, it's, it's tough it, it is tough so what was next after QPR was that going up to Scotland yeah so you'd have a, you'd had a period where you were training with the youth team and that yeah you know you, that, that's demoralising enough isn't it where you're going in and you sometimes you're not sure so yeah. you, you might be getting changed with the first team and then you're stepping out on the pitch and you see they're going on pitch number one and you're like creeping with them because you're the you're, you're mates to, and then I, you're waiting for the assistant manager to yeah, just hook you and say, Viney or I, Jonesy, yeah, yeah, yeah. not today, pitch four. Yeah, I used to do the one where Keith Curl's assistant, obviously, and uh, we was, I was still in the first team changing room then. I might not, I, I end up... I'm going to guess, Viney, <laughs> I'm going to guess, right, that you knew you were training with the youth team yeah, 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 yeah. purposely went on the first team pitch. Like what they do is, like, they wouldn't come out until 20 past 10, we'd be out there from 10 doing the rondo, doing the two, one, two in the middle, so I'd be like, I'm over there with the boys, yeah. and then when we do the huddle, I'm like hiding, and they see me every day, and they turn into my thing and making him say, Viney, get over there, yeah. and I'd be like, ah. Oh. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. tomorrow Sometimes yeah. I'll get into doing the like, you know, the plyometrics and that. I'll be in there. And the boys will be laughing, and then he'd be like, "Ah, oh. but no, it was that, mate." See, if I go into coaching, managing, the things you learn and the the, the ways people, the ways fellow professionals are treated, especially when it's not, it's not their fault. They they shouldn't be treated like that. It it sort of builds a picture in your head of how you would treat people and how you would you, you know how you want to see other people because you don't know there's different members of staff do different things and every everything is like a trigger in my head it's like I wouldn't do that there's no way I'd do that to a, to a professional footballer there's no way I'd do that I, I, one day I was training with the under 15s or something on the AstroTurf and, and the boys are up having lunch because I like to train later and they're just laughing out the window and it's, it gets past demoralising it's soul destroying and it, it was a long time and there was, there, there was reasons and everyone oh why don't you just walk away then rip up your contract do that well I was injured and I was unfit mm. I had a chance to go to Sheffield Wednesday and I'd just done my groin right off the back of being out for 17, 18 months Brian Laws phoned me and I was like mate I'd love to come and play for Sheffield Wednesday it's an unbelievable iconic club but I'm injured and then they were like 
oh, he doesn't want to go anywhere, he's greedy, he's this. I'm like, I'm unfit and you want to send me out. And then, when I did get myself fit, they wouldn't let me go on loan. It, 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 they don't want you to... It's so many things that happened and you can only be responsible for your part of it. And yeah, at times, I wasn't in the greatest of shapes, but... Yeah. At one time, I was told that I could stay at home for the remainder of my contract. I had 19 months left. Yeah. And like, what? What's that? I'm 27 at the time. You know what I mean? You don't. You just stay at home. No, I want to come in. So I'd go in every day, go in the gym. That's most days. There wasn't a massive squad. There wasn't a massive reserve squad. So I was training on my own. Essentially, after doing two rehabs, to train on your own when you should be training with a team. Listen, there's a lot of people say a lot of things, but that's tough. That's very tough. Did I ever tell you the time I almost signed for Sheffield Wednesday? No. So same manager, Ryan Laws. Same time. But maybe. <laughs> could have had could have had you in the number ten again. <laughs> we'll get into that. I remember speaking to him on the phone. So my last season at Swansea, and he wanted to take me on loan. So similar to you, Sheffield Wednesday, Hillsborough, mm. so much history. And I, I'd been on the websites checking out estate agents, where he had lived, beautiful out in the country, yeah. this and that. So I go to see Roberto, Swansea manager. And say Gaffer, uh, Chef Wednesday want to take me on loan. Ah, Owen, Chef Wednesday play four four two. It would not be good for your development. I'm thinking, oh, Gaffer, they're in, they're in the fucking championship yeah. here. Brilliant club, brilliant opportunity. Wouldn't let yeah. me go. Fast forward maybe three weeks later, I've come on in a couple of games, including FA Cup replay, Fulham away. Winners play Man United. Come on at one nil up. Lose 2-1, he blames me for both goals. Nothing to do with you. Next day, <laughs> Owen, you can go on loan to Swindon. Bottom of League One, play 4-4-2. Good, good for your development. 4-4-2. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. It's, so it's, we could, hey, a pass could have crossed earlier, mate. Yeah, exactly. Hillsborough. Yeah. But we had to wait, didn't we? We had to wait. We had to wait until that, that fit infamous season that we had at Hibs yeah well I only had half a season so I'm only I'm only, I'm only claiming up till Christmas or January did you go in yeah January? I went in January I went in January I got out of there I got out of there in January because um, where did you go I went Morton I went oh, to okay. Morton yeah, did yeah, like yeah. Kenny Shields and I swapped like I swapped a sinking ship for a ship that was definitely anchored at the bottom of the league <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't claim any relegations that season <laughs> Because I left Hibs and then I went to Morton, but Morton were 10 points behind. I said, Look, we're already down. You're like Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes at Stoke last year, nothing to do with me. Whoa, we were doing all right when I was there. (laughs) So we we both turned up. We both had good seasons, respectively. Inverness, St. Johnson, two clubs that, you know, I I can only speak for myself. You go to Inverness because things aren't going well (laughs) elsewhere, with the greatest of respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and you, you try and use it. You know, as as much as possible, to give you a platform to go again, if yeah. you like. Similar for you, St. Johnson. We end up at Hibs. What was going through your mind? Because personally, I thought this Hibs team—they've finished in the bottom six for the last few years. I want to be part of that team that takes them back yeah. to the top six to the next level. It, it, it can't get any worse. That's what I thought about them. Yeah, but I, I'd scored two in a three-nil win for St. Johnson at Easter Road. So I'd scored two, and. The crowd were bad, like real bad, um, and Pat was getting it that night as well. Because with all due respect, like you say, to, to both teams, um, St Johnston's expectation was probably going to be lower, but they were finishing higher. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we finished third in the league. We had to beat Motherwell last game of the season at St Johnston. We beat them, and the crowd—it weren't even full. It was never full at St Johnston. So you know, so going into Hibs, I knew that you know they was under pressure within. Uh, 
the management and, and stuff like that. But like you say, the infrastructure of the club, you're not going to turn it down. It's unbelievable ground, training ground, all that kind of stuff. But I, I sort of knew, um, you know, they made some good signings, potentially good signings. People had done well, but also, if you look at it, they weren't competing in terms of finance. And Rangers had gone out of the league, so the, the, the expectation level by the fans and the club was ridiculously high. Ridiculously yeah. high, because they get a, a great fan base, great club. And if you live off past glories you're, and you're not investing that amount into the team that needs to be... Like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't, wasn't like they should, be, should have got relegated, no chance. But I think when Pat left and we were in fifth in the league or something like that, it's probably around about, you, you're sort of competing with the Aberdeens, and probably not, like, I think we missed out on a player because Aberdeen offered more money, so they could do that a little bit, and I just thought, you've got to be realistic with, with what you want, and I just think it was the, um, we were playing some good stuff under Pat, I think he, he, a lot of the damage had been done for him, Yeah, he couldn't leave his house and stuff like that, and we witnessed that firsthand, how, how like raw the fans could be and fair play they pay their money I'll, I'll never ever say they can't say this they can't say, say what they want but is it helpful for anyone I remember going warming up and getting getting booed and getting like yeah. getting absolutely caned by kids women men everything and you're thinking <laughs> you know and it, it, I think it's a heavy burden when it's not going well um, and we didn't sort of when I was when I was playing there and in and out of it we sort of we were doing okay but okay was never going to be enough it's strange isn't it because as you say, fans have that right. They can do whatever yeah. they want. They can do. And I look at Everton now as an example in the Premier League. What a tough club to play I'm, for. Yeah. Hibs are probably yeah. similar yeah. because they've suffered so many lows and, and expecting to be at a higher level. Boos have never helped the team. No. You know, if if a team has ever scored or won a game after hearing boos, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, listen. But Negativity it doesn't drive anyone on, <laughs> you know. Maybe the odd occasion you sort of poke someone because you know you can get a response. Then fair enough, but like overall negativity yeah. <laughs> doesn't help anyone. But it's a good point you're making because it's not as if Hibs, if you look at it from the outside, stadium size, they should be third in the league. Yeah. If you like third, fourth, battling with Aberdeen, behind Celtic Rangers yeah. if they're in the league. But it's not as if. Hibs pay, players were being paid five grand a week yeah. on average, yeah. and then you had Inverness St. Johnson being paid a thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah, and it was Inverness and Hibs were getting yeah. paid very similar, weren't they? I, don't, I think it's obviously been in the press the last couple of weeks that the Neil Lennon situation, where at the minute I think they've been competing, but they've still been competing from a lower mm. lower level and sort of pretending that, that they should be there. And I don't think people within the club. Um, were, were that honest about it either whether it be the board and stuff I don't think they were going and saying well you know Hearts can probably pay more money than us and they're in the league below at the time do you know what I mean it wasn't if no one gives you know you've got to set your targets and your finance and your wage structure is in line with where you should finish in the league um, like you say there's teams that don't invest a lot but have a better cohesion and you're going to uh, St Johnston you're getting like 1,700 fans on a weeknight yeah. it's like a resi game and you're playing like and you're you can relax and the expectation isn't there people aren't there like baying for blood do you know what I mean they haven't got you know it's like sort of a different, it was a different thing um, I you know it's hard to enjoy it when you're not doing well personally and collectively um, you know I, I still maintain that I enjoyed the first part of it I think we were getting there um, and then you brought your mate in and that was the end of me really <laughs> <laughs> it was the end of me as well I, I can't believe I went from like Terry Butcher being a huge favourite 
and I'm going to be getting I'm going to be getting big butch on the podcast one yeah, day. Yeah. Hopefully, have a chat about everything. But I went from playing every week in Vanessa, being such a favourite. Yeah. He came into Hibs exactly the same level of football and wasn't wasn't in the team. I, I just found it interesting how just the maybe the size of the club, what he felt, the expectation, what what the fans wanted to see. Obviously, I wasn't the right fit for that. Yeah. You know. I think he missed a trick in terms of thinking that he. I think he might have a stubborn nature where he has to come in and change everything. I can't have any of them players because they're not my players and, and I need to change. It's very hard when, you're, when you come in mid-season because you've got to use someone else's players until sort of January or until you can sort of evaluate it. And, you know, it was one of those where I don't think the level of investment was like you can go and sign 12 players. So I sort of, he ostracised the senior players, which I think is a massive mistake straight away. Took the captaincy off the key part. I think I made a probably a bad remark when he said oh, no keeper should ever be captain and I was like didn't you play in front of Peter Shilton for England he just brushed it under the carpet and I was like well that was a good point <laughs> and like you know I just I just didn't I, you, you, you gave him quite a good reference at the start and you know I remember a couple of conversations and I already thought not really familiar with this guy but you know I wanted to be in the team I wanted to work hard and I wanted to play and yeah it was just a, really disappointing to not really I, get the chance I remember my reference what I would have said as well would have been at Inverness yeah. what he did was brilliant yeah. so he's brought in his own players he's used young players a lot of the time not too many senior lads I'm just not sure if Hibbs is the right fit yeah yeah, yeah. You, know that, I mean? you said something along them lines definitely but I think you was even surprised with his nature when he came in and I think you were even surprised with some of the things he'd done which would have been total opposite of what he was doing at Inverness well, his big mistake you, you've touched on it there was with the senior lads I think he felt we were safe too soon yeah so yeah. when we were sixth or something like that or we went into the split and we were seventh yeah. it didn't look like we were going to get relegated yeah. and he'd got rid of all the senior players or upset them or made remarks in the newspapers not realising oh shit I'm going I'm to need, need these yeah. there was so long left of the season he couldn't get rid of them injuries suspensions all of a sudden you then have to pick a player like Kevin Thompson for example who you've blatantly said you don't want part of the team yeah and then you need him. How yeah. Do, how do you get that player to fight for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, off, yeah, uh, he wasn't that endearing as a, as a, as a bloke anyway. Uh, he was a bit strange in his ways of coming in the change room and his way to speak to people and dress people. And it, it, it was sort of the Terry Butcher show the whole time. And it was forced, like having a cup of tea and biscuits and cake with him for an hour. It was like, it was horrible. It was like, everyone was like, not a bit saying anything, but as soon as he went out, everyone would be back to their normal self. It was like, we don't really want you in here. So <laughs> he was forcing himself on it to try and make this community spirit, and it wasn't there. It clearly wasn't there. And, you know, I, I think I said to the, uh, the chairman as I was leaving, I left at the end of January, and I said, look, I think you're banging trouble here. And he said, nah, we'll be fine. I went, no, I really think you're going to struggle with him because he's losing everyone. And he'd lost the dressing room for me because there was even though it wasn't going that well like you say we had the coffee club we had boys that were, were in there and you know the nucleus of the squad and then it was sort of detached people weren't even I mean I was weren't even allowed in the team meetings after that I was had to play ping pong with one of the youth team boys like trying to celebrate so that you could hear me it was embarrassing it's like don't create that community spirit and then just ostracise someone completely he's not even allowed in the room now yeah. well you know and I just thought and the one for me was Ross County away when you know he put he put on um What's the striker? Ross, Ross, Ross Caldwell. He put on Ross Caldwell in the 81st minute and went one or nil-nil or whatever it was. 
he's put him on and then him and Morris are trying to shout over to get him to run around whereas Ross was a he was a funny boy anyway he'd, he'd do things that he wanted to do and yeah. I was sat there and I'm like they've put him on but you should have probably put me on anyway as an experienced player to try and you know, shore it up and you know you're going always a forward but you've got to track back and that he didn't track back twice and Butch ain't got he ain't really got a loud voice it's a strainer so Morris is shouting on they're shouting on shouting on and the 85th minute they go get him off get him off and I'm like and he turns around Morris you know Morris like, he's like get ready you're going on and I said nah nah mate and he's like what and I went nah <laughs> and he couldn't believe it and he's got the aggressive straight away so he's gone fully aggressive I've gone nah listen I ain't going on pick someone else and then Butcher's turned around and he's like what's, what's, what's going on get my, I said I'm not going on I'm not there's no way and then it gets to like 89 minutes I think he's rode it out he's done alright they're, they're just overreacting they're desperate for this point whatever it was or this win and I'm like and then it happens again and he don't track back and they nearly score it's like the 92nd minute yeah. and then he gets Tom Tywo who's next to me yeah. stripped off and I'm like Tom what are you doing? he's like Fuck. and Tom bless him Tom was honest as the days long he's just stripped off and they've put him on in the I 90 think, second minute. I think I was on. I don't know if I've come on as a sub. I think I was on and remember Tom coming on. They've put him on in the 90 second minute. Ref and blows 93rd. Yeah, ref, he did, and ref blows. And he's run straight down the tunnel. The kid's like 19, 20. And I just thought, in my head, I thought, that's horrendous. It's a, whole, it's a horrendous situation. Like, and it's so like, unprofessional. And the, the least person to come out of it negatively, I thought it was going to be me. <laughs> but it was like... He was all right. He was training the next day. He was still in the squad. And I was never, like, they never wanted me to play again. And I'm like, well, I thought I'd done the right thing. Like, you've put the boy on for 10 minutes. Let him, you've put him on for a reason. And you know his personality. You've got to, you know, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that. So I wanted no part of it. And, yeah, sort of refusing to come on, I suppose, isn't it? It showed <laughs> soon after we left, or in a couple of years after, what that club could be yeah. if you were part of the team that got it right. Like, I... I was absolutely made up for lads that were still there yeah, yeah. from that period, where it's Paul Hannan, uh, Louis, uh, David Gray came in a little bit later. These guys and the adulation that they yeah, yeah. get from that fans. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't for one minute think that uh, all good fans want to go there and be negative. They want, they want glory. They want same as all fans, and you know I think they do. They did deserve it, and yeah, it's, it's nice to see that they have had some success um, off the back of that because you know you, that's the last thing. You, you might feel, ah, oh, want, want, if you're not in a team, you want it to be negative so you can get get on. Yeah. When you look back, I don't want to wish anything bad on any of the teams that I've played for. May as well talk about the Christmas parties. We've had, <laughs> we've had James Collins' side of the story. <laughs> what do you remember? Oh, you're a bit of a wildcat on a night out, anyway, ain't you, mate? Yeah, I can. Um, I can. Yeah, I mean, I can go with the best of them. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's there, was a, there was a little fad, wasn't there, for a little bit? Probably still goes on on nights out where. Lads had two foot each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were part of that club, mate. And I don't know if it was you doing it to someone or someone got you back. Yeah. And I thought, oh, Viney's broke his ankle here. Yeah. He's in trouble because someone two footed you across the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I'm no stranger to the sliding tackle <laughs> on, the, on the dance floor. Many, many people have gone down <laughs> in many different cities and countries. <laughs> I remember done it to Mikel Ledgerwood in Vegas, and he's one of the biggest, strongest boys you'll ever. And he'd been injured. He'd come to Reading by that point, and I've just ran and just clamped him with a two footer. <laughs> and he's gone down, but not really gone down. But he's grabbed me by the throat, and I just thought, because we're pals, he just—he was like he was recovering from a medial. And he just, he just wanted to punch me in. And I was like, he had every right to as well. What am I, what am I doing? I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, bam, bam, bless him. Yeah, we, uh, 
I don't know if it was me or you christening Bam Bam, but it seemed to fit straight away as soon as it came. So heavy-handed, doesn't it? So heavy, everything. Coffee goes down, boom, wallop, <laughs> everything goes. Yeah, lashing the ball around the training ground. But um, now, nah, bless him, he sort of, he came in, he's younger and he's sort of impressionable. And, you know, I took him under my wing, being a striker and everything. And it, it, he's a good, good boy, James, and a good player. And you want to see him do well no matter what. But um, I think it, his fledgling career, he'd sort of, Got, he could hang around with the older guys, he could blend in and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, it was probably a part of him getting a little bit above his station at that particular time. I think we were rooming and uh, <coughs> there was this long corridor and, yeah, I, he's got his bags, he's, he's pulling the bags towards the door and I just slowed up and thought, here we go, start it off with a bang, here yeah. we go. Because we'd had a long uh, train trip down from, from, I think we played Celtic. So, yeah, I think a few had been already seen off. <laughs> I didn't think a few were going to come out on the night. So, yeah, I may have... <coughs> I may have started it with the first, you know, first tackle, just to let him know, just to let him, you know, let him know there's a game on. Yeah. <laughs> have that, yeah. I think, I think I've done that. And to, to be fair to him, he always took stuff well, James. Always. Smile on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got up. Yeah, yeah. It's just fine. He being him and that. But I think we went out. It's a funny one actually, because we was in a nightclub, and I think it was would have been Barnsley. That, no, I don't know, but Lee Johnson had just got the job, Oldham or somewhere like that. So it was Oldham, it's in the Manchester, so they've got their Christmas doing that. And I've, I used to play against John, I used to play against him as well, and then uh, um, he must have said to me, like, when we were him, so he was at Oldham, but he just got into coaching management. And he's like, he said to me, oh, like, what happened? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, a lot of people used to say that to me, because at one point I was flying at QPR, and then the next time people probably saw me, I, you know what I mean, I was playing at Hibs or whatever, so was, like, you go off the radar completely. He's like, what, what happened? What's, what, what's going on and everything? I was like, ah, it's not that. Ten minutes later, I've got my top off, swinging off the chandelier. Because you moved to Oldham. Everybody went, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we said that, that night was it was class. That night it was really good. Um, I think like the Sunday, obviously, yeah, we're uh, we've uh, I think we've upset a few of our own lads. Well, what we had was, you know, this this maybe went a long way into what happened on the field. Yeah. There was a real frac- uh, fracture within the squad of what to do. No, most of the lads didn't want to do fancy dress. Yeah. Um, some wanted to do a Christmas jumper. A lot but, of them wanted to they, go home on a Sunday. They wanted That's to take the, the Christmas yeah. jumper off after an hour to get back in their own gear. Mo- the majority of them wanted and went home. Yeah, on Sunday. and we didn't know that. Like the, you know, the coffee club, which could go into like the Guinness club and <laughs> you know what I mean it wasn't just the coffee club let's have it right so um, <laughs> the triangle club it could be called whatever you want <laughs> maybe that's a part of the reason why as well and, and let's, 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 I know you're Welsh but like the English club really as well wasn't it Tom Tywo Michael Nelson Bam Bam me you slide in just for like what, sp- what do you do for a reputation <laughs> you spent more time in England than you have in Wales anyway so let's just <laughs> So yeah, it was sort of. Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm no stranger to ad- adverse opinions of me. I mean, St. Johnson, in fact, I was the only English lad in the changing room, and you can tell that there's a lot of Scottish boys that didn't like me. There's a lot of people that don't sort of, you know, you rub people up the wrong way sometimes. And uh, so anyway, we yeah, I think we'd seen a lot of them off, haven't we? And there wasn't wasn't many left on that. Uh, but we got it going that day. We got it really going. We had the um, we had the room game going, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Um, just got to that point, and yeah, it was sort of. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't. I thought you know nothing of it. I probably you know. And he just uh, just had some nice suede shoes on. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. I'd gone. I'd gone for the, uh, the jeans and the suede shoes one. Like one of my favourite pairs as well. Like sort of camely colour they were as well. So like a light camely colour. You weren't not light in the weather spoons or wherever he was at. But I just remember he's obviously he's next to me and um, as you Hef and Nels 
like opposite, sort of on a probably little round table like this, but stood up. And what he didn't, he forgot to mention, which is probably rightly so, there was a couple of birds there as well, a couple of females. So obviously, um, me being single was chatting to the to the, uh, the girls and that, and you know, just making them feel welcome. Exactly, just trying to checking, integ- checking they were having a good night. Just trying to integrate them into the. Um, into the coffee club, um, and yeah, I just yeah felt something on my um, on my leg, and you know that feeling. It's hot, you know. You know, there's not many things, and it's, you know. So you know, and then I look, and there's sort of big ch- like Cheshire cat grin on his face, and just thought, <laughs> and he celebrated. Didn't yeah, he? I just thought, I know, you know, and I look down, but it's it's going. It's not a like a, it's a proper like it's gone all the way down and on it, the shoes, and I'm like, and in hindsight, we know he's got an issue with the urine. Well, huh? this has been proven. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, carry on. there's, there's plenty. Of he's a pisser, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's done me, and I, listen, that's been done before. Like you say, it was a bit of a fad. I don't know if it still happens now, but since early on in my career, you know, you go a bit too fast, and people urinate on each other and stuff like that, and showers and stuff like that, and it, it happens. And you know, that familiar feeling—it's run down my leg, and I don't know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, nice, but he's celebrated. And then the girl, the, the girls stand there laughing. I think was, you had a bit of a chuckle. You know, everyone's yeah, it's not a joke at my expense. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, you know, I've handed enough out. I'm, I'm big enough to take it, and take it. I did, and I don't even know whether there was a subconscious like thing in my head, like because I don't, I just took it, and I knew I've got to take this, even if I'm going to come back. I've got to take this now. Yeah, you, you can't create. Re- you can't rest straight away. No. Otherwise, the joke's on you. So, exactly. So I didn't know there was no. I don't think there was a lot of pre-planning because obviously we've been we've had a we've had a couple of drinks by this point. I remember every time I turn around, he's still smiling at me. So he, you know, when someone tells a joke, it's funny now. But half hour later, oh, he's, he was he's gone. I was like, yeah, all right, okay, right, well done. <laughs> so then I probably started thinking. I don't know what took me up. It was upstairs to the toilet. I probably needed to yeah. go anyway. So then that's probably where I form, formulated a plan in my in my in my head, my wicked ways. So yeah, I just remember sort of. Making a decision based around the like solidity of the uh, <laughs> caught the perfect nugget. That's what I mean. I've sort of like I've sort of it wasn't bare. I'm not an, I'm not an animal. No, no, no. <laughs> I've got the, I've got the tissue folded over. I've had a little look. It was it was of of the solid variety that you need. Like I said, the perfectly formed nugget. It basically said you've got to do it. But swipeable as well. Easy, yeah. Just like you know, soft in the centre. You know? <laughs> So I sort of wrapped it as a little parcel and put it in my pocket, as you do. I've come down, and this is the key point. I've come down, and I'm looking at you, still formed in the same sort of place. So I've gone right onto the dance floor, pretending to have a little bit of a dance and that, like just to just to chuck the just to chuck the red herring out there. So he thinks, yeah. And then it's just like I've come round, and it's still perfect. I'm still a slot next to him for me. So I'm thinking, right, I'm in here, and he's not going to see this, and he's still like. Thinking he's funny and everything like that, he's thinking he's the winner. So then I've said to you, I think, I'd get on this, watch this. And with that, I've it's just come out of the back pocket and I've just uh, just leant round and yeah, the girls and everyone's watching and I've just striped it from probably about like the corner of the mouth. He's denying it was the, the corner of the yeah, mouth. Yeah, I'm I don't, saying James, I remember it was close. Yeah, he tried to, he tried to palm it off with like a little neck one and that, but I just remember, so he stood there. He, he's hit him, it's gone, and I remember him looking like straight at you and Nelson and going, is it is shit, is it, is what, yeah, and he's even gone like the touch and sniff one, and then he's, he knows it is, and he's like, his, the shock on his face was unbelievable, and he's just belted it up the stairs, and uh, yeah, I've just like sort of sauntered off, but thinking, 
well, yeah, that's a bit of carnage there. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know who's witnessed it. He's, he's took it well, though, because that's fighting talk for a lot of people. Yeah, I think, I'm like... I'm not sure how well I'd take Yeah, no. Swipe, I know? think you've got to know your... You've got to know your... Uh, your opponents in that kind of thing and like I've done it there's been a couple there's been a few that I've, a few things that I've done and you know, I remember having a roll around with Liam Lawrence outside the Mayfair because uh, I was just into a bit of shirt ripping at the time yeah I'm wearing like a four pound gap t-shirt allegedly wearing a 350 Prada shirt it's a white shirt it's coming off <laughs> so it just went wallop but it was so funny because it went wallet, but the one button stayed on, so he still got the fly away. Hey, that's, that's good quality. That shows it's a 350 <laughs> shirt. Good quality. <laughs> he didn't take it very well. Like, I didn't know him from really. He, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. We ended up having a full-on roll around outside in the gutter. Me with no top on. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there was only one winner of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but like, some people don't take it. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. I'd take it. But it's a risk you're willing to take. At that point, yeah, it was like, it comes from the fact that, like, you know, he was my little apprentice. He needed to, he needed to get back down doing the buckets. He couldn't be getting above himself, could he? I think it was one of those, like, come on, son. You've had your fun. Don't mind your nicking. <laughs> You've had a little dabble, you, you were saying earlier, a bit of agency yeah. work. Is that for you? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, like I've tried to help out a few pals, and I'll always help out boys that I've got a lot of time for that, that I've maybe played with or... You know, I want to help them out because I don't want, I want them to get a good chance. And, and sort of, I always, people I've played with that are younger and still playing, if I've got anything to pass on in terms of advice, that side of it, which an agent should do, sometimes does do, sometimes doesn't, um, I think that's more important than, or just as important as getting a, the best deal for, 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 for the player. So, you know, it'd be one of those where, you know, it's more about character building and personality for me. and whether that's what an agent is employed to do or not, whether players need that, I don't know. But, yeah, I sort of... I don't think so. I don't so think I want to go fully into that. But I've, you know, I've done a few deals and helped a few people out, so it's something that I probably potentially could do. Isn't it strange how we've ended up becoming the older guys who are looking back? It wasn't like that in my day yeah. because we're now seeing these young players. This is no bitterness towards what they're earning or anything yeah. it's more to do with personalities or lack of personalities from the outside yeah you know, I, might, I might be wrong here but these young lads that are on huge money before they've even broke into a first team it's just staggering it's staggering to me yeah I mean I, yeah I, I completely agree with you and it, yeah it, it is funny that um, I mean coming through at Portsmouth and and sort of start going and having a good few years and get, getting a move and do, doing all right. There was probably players, older players, that probably saw me when I was in the youth team thinking the same thing. But I think it's definitely been heightened and it's definitely been more publicised. The, the the young players, what they're at the big clubs or even some like semi-big clubs, championship clubs, the, the sort of wages involved and and what they're what they're sort of getting to early before they've proved themselves. It, it, it is remarkable. I mean, I, I had the pleasure of training with Raheem Sterling when he was 14 at QPR just before he went to Liverpool and then again Jordan because he was training with the under 15 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was keeping me out of the under 15 side but you know what I mean <laughs> uh, yeah and I mean um, and you sort of these for everyone that will go on and do massive things there is there seems to be a high number that sort of just sort of knock around till they're 22 23 and have earned vast amounts of money but haven't really been given the opportunity or chance to go and prove themselves and i don't even think it's a requirement mm. but now like i was 
I went on loan when I was 19 and played 45 games for Brentford in, I think it was Division 1 or whatever it's called at the time, Division 2 before. And it was like, you had to do that. And off the back of that, I went on loan again and played another 45. I played 120 games on loan. I was still a Portsmouth player. It was like, it was ridiculous. But I don't think, you know, there's, there's boys out there that are willing to do it. Like the strikers, especially like Tammy Abraham, people like that, they're going and doing it. Yeah. But as a whole, as a number, there's, there's a high percentage of them that aren't, being really tested against men until maybe it's too late. Um, I admire that there seems to be a common theme of going to the Bundesliga or trying to get there. And, uh, you know, I admire the fact that they're going and playing, but there should there should be a pathway into to Premier League teams before that. Um, they will always point to the fact that there isn't. So, but I think a lot of them are happy to just be still a Chelsea or. And also, if you want to be an agent, it seems that players less so now are willing to accept criticism. It's more, it's more feeding an ego and saying, ah, oh, if they've asked you, how do you think I played today? Yeah. You can't tell them. I thought you were poor. I thought you need to improve this. They, they just, they want that reassurance that I oh, did all right. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's across the board. I think if you're coaching, managing, or agent, or, or whatever it may be. I think everyone seems to need that. It used to be you could pick and choose one that needs a cane and one, one that needs an arm around a shoulder or you could sort of generalise. It seems to me now that, yeah, you have to treat everyone with kid gloves and I think there's more and more accusations of Bellas. things happening. Yeah, Bellas exactly. The there's, there's more accusations. And at the moment, that's an accusation. Um, and you don't know which way that's going to go. And he's a character probably quite similar to me. that He'll tell you how it is and he don't mind throwing a few fucks around and stuff like that. But if that's perceived as... I don't know the story, so I'm not going to yeah. go any further. But if that's perceived as, as wrong by doing that, it's tough because we're talking generational again. Like I was in, I was in youth teams and early on in my career. You know, I remember going places like Stockport from Portsmouth and being the 17th man, what you used to call it, if you weren't in the squad. And you weren't allowed to take your seat on the bus every time you sat down. Someone made you stand up and make a coffee, even though they didn't want one. Mm. That's four hours. I've got a bad back. <laughs> Let's have a seat, mate. I'm supposed to play cards with the lads or something. You know what I mean? And you, you, yeah, and that's what it was. And they'd laugh. And you know what I mean? It'd be that's what it'd be. And that's what built your your character, though. Like again, I don't know the Craig Bellamy situation, but I can imagine, like you, I can imagine what's gone on. Is he's dr- trying to drive a dressing room there? Maybe one is not quite adhering to what he's expecting, yep. or this and that. Um, and again, it might be bullying. We don't know, but. I, I think we can safely imagine what's gone on there. I think there needs to be some regulation of we're moving away from football as what football was in Britain. We're competitive winners. That's what, as British players, that's what's driven, I think, over time. on The more fighters and competitive players like your Rooney's, like your Gerrard's in, in the team is, is what's made the, the national team better because that's what, that's what we are. Like Every time I've played football, it's first to ten or it's score free and you win like you know what I mean that's what it was since I was a kid so I think if we're moving away from it being a winning mentality and a competitive edge because if you can't do that when you're trying to teach players or help players understand what it means if you can't do that and it's it's classed as bullying then there needs to be a blueprint to say how far you can go because you know I like the fact that you know a manager coming in and, and you know you're losing and you're playing badly I don't know if it's down to age groups or whatever it can be, but you know, I, I was 13 or 14 at Southampton, and there was a Scottish coach there that was calling me names at half time. Like, and I'm, I got upset and went home. Do you know what I mean? And that was that was on a football team. So, was it bullying? No, it's probably not. But was it 
was it uncalled for? Yeah, but it, I think it's too easy to it's too easy to accuse someone of something and go. Especially if he's had to step away, where you you are now. You said it before. You're guilt, guilty until proven innocent. Though, yeah, of course. As opposed to the other way around. Yeah, which is a shame. Yeah, it's a definite shame. I mean, I, I, yeah, like until there's a. I mean, I know there is there is sort of guidelines of what you can say, the respect thing, and, and all these kind of stuff, and and uh, when it's kids' football, like the parents aren't allowed to be there, so they can shout and stuff like that, which is obviously going in the right way. But if you've got danger of like the sport becoming soft, it's it, it's going to change it. You, you have to find a different way. Um, as long as the national team's successful, they're going to point to the fact that bringing young kids through, they're good enough to play for England, so it's, it's all right. That must be the way, treating them with kid gloves and maybe bringing them on in that kind of respect. But I still don't think there's enough young players playing week in, week out, you know, going on. You know, you get the... You get the it seems to be more sort of more sparse that one player's in, and you go, oh, they've got one player through. You know, the big clubs aren't bringing through threes and fours in the same year sort of thing yeah. um, and maybe it is because they don't know how to compete and win properly we can't get you out of here without mentioning it's just come to my attention now you're talking about putting James Collins under your wing a little bit Jason Cummings <laughs> when that man broke on the scene we'd never seen anything like him oh, what, a, what a character and I just remember seeing not that everyone liked him but a few of the, a few of the older lads especially weren't sure with you know how he was around the place, and I'm thinking, lads, just appreciate yeah. this guy that is so he's a fucking lunatic. Yeah, you've got you've got characters, you've got you've got characters in football in, in all walks of life, just natural characters, and I think he's one of them that there's no filter at all. It just in any in any situation for him, and there's no like there's no putting on a show. He just walk in. And he, you know what I mean? He's he's off the wall, but charismatic with it as yeah, well. Yeah, you just laugh. Yeah, and you've got to laugh. You've got to laugh, and it, it obviously it's tough when you're trying to be organised and professional. And someone comes in, <laughs> and one of the youngest members of the squad is the wildest. Like it must be so hard to try and contain that. Um, and I, I, I actually messaged him the other day because he's he's just gone to Luton, and uh, and I said to him, yeah, get your head down, score some goals, and and, and just just play football. But you know, people like that. I mean. I like the maverick side of, of everything. I think it should be embraced more if you can have a player that's going out and giving 100%, trying things, like he'll shoot from 60 yards, that kid, and like he's having himself massively. Yeah. You've got to embrace that because he can win you a game. Yeah, he might cause you a few problems off the field or he might cause you a few Did problems. Did you see that video of him checking his telly at that? <laughs> that was very Rowan Vines. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the rock star moment. He's gone for it, he? <laughs> Fortunately, in my heyday, in most of the, the compromising situations I got in, there wasn't a camera phone there to, to put yeah, it on social true. media. So I normally got away with most of the things. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't surprising to see that he was uh, trashing his own flat. <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think the staff here, we've had a few dirty looks. They're moving all sorts of tables, pastas. We'll save the, um, we'll save the Steve Marcella stories for the, for the next episode. Chicken tikka. Oh. <laughs> What a man. <laughs> what a guy. Good to see you man. Good catching up with you. Man. And you're excellent, mate. Cheers. And there we have it. Story time with Rowan Vine. Done and dusted. Beautiful to catch up with, uh, with Viney. Haven't seen each other for a good few years since he was kicked out of Hibs. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the chat. If you did, leave a review. Subscribe. And most importantly, tell a friend. Spread the word about the podcast. 
Hopefully you enjoyed. Until next time.